Uh, good morning, everybody. Hope you can hear me in the room. I hope you can hear me on Zoom. Uh, I, I'm just, that was amazing, wasn't it? Uh, those, uh, what the puppy's name is? Gloria and Kevin. Kevin. They've just stolen my thunder this morning, haven't they? You, you've had the message. You've, you've heard the Easter story. They've done it so much better than I can. I'm going to do it again anyway. So look, good morning. Welcome to you all. Uh, a special welcome to folks that are going to be baptised and a special welcome if you're a guest this morning. Um, and regardless of what the puppet said, though, this morning, I've got a really important question I've got to ask you first of all, okay? And that's, have you unwrapped your Easter egg already? <laughs> Who, hands up, who's already eaten far too much chocolate today? <laughs> okay, here's my Easter egg. Here's my Easter egg. It's still wrapped up at the moment. It's not going to stay that way for too much longer. But, but that was a gift from my wife, okay? That's my Easter egg, gift from my wife. And it's about gifts that I want to talk this morning. Because heaven is talked of as being a gift. The best way to describe heaven is that it is a gift. Paul, who wrote an awful lot of the New Testament, wrote to the Ephesians. And in chapter 2 of that letter, he said this. He said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that, so, so that no one can boast. And this is the verse that I want to kind of just unpack for a few minutes this morning. I want us to think about heaven as being a gift. And uh, I don't know if you, you've ever thought about, well, you may not have thought about well, what's it like to go to heaven. You know, it's not a, sometimes, we sometimes don't always think about that. But sociologists tell us that, you know, what happens when I die is one of the most common questions that we actually think about. So whether that's you or not this morning, let's just think about for a few moments, what would it be like to go to heaven? How do we actually get there? And it helps to think of it as a gift. You see, one of the things about a gift is it's free. You don't pay for it. I, I love the Mr. Bean sketch. You remember this, that sketch where he sends himself a birthday card? It's, it, it's funny, but actually it's also rather sad because gifts don't work that way. You know, gifts are free. They're given to you, uh, like this gift down here. You see, what I didn't do, what would have been really wrong to do when Valentina gave me this Easter egg, would be to say, that's a wonderful egg. Thank you so much for that egg. You've spent so much money on that. I I'm going to get my wallet out. I'm going to give you a couple of pounds towards the cost of that egg. No, I wouldn't do that, because firstly, that would mean that wasn't a gift anymore. And secondly, it would actually be really offensive because it was given in love. It wasn't meant to be paid for. You know, Valentina wasn't looking for any money back for that egg. Now, now think for a moment not just about Easter eggs, but think about heaven as a gift. How do we respond when we're offered that gift? See, the truth is, in most cases, we respond in the wrong way. We respond in a similar way that I've just described. We try to pay for it. We try to earn our way to heaven. And we can see that a little bit when, when we look at what the Bible says about us, what the Bible says about man. You see, if you said to the average person in the street, what do you have to do to get to heaven? The answer that you would probably get would be something along the lines of, well, you have to live a good life. You have to do good things. And I would have given that same answer before I was a Christian. I, I would have said, well, I imagine that when I get to the end of my life, whenever that is, 
all the kind of good things that I've done are kind of put on one side and all the not so good things I've done are put on the other side and there's this kind of cosmic balance scale which kind of weighs them and if I've done more good than bad God says yeah you're an okay person you can come in and to the people who've kind of done not you know more not so good stuff he says well actually no and, and to us, that, that almost makes sense. That almost sounds logical. And we're all used in life to get to sitting exams. We're all used to the idea of there being a pass mark. So the question this morning is, is that how it works? What is the pass mark in the exam of life? How good do you have to be to make it to heaven on your own strength? You have all the, all the good stuff is there and all the bad stuff is there. Do we have to be 60% good? 70% good, 80% good. How would you ever measure that? But, but what is the pass mark? Well, the Bible is really clear about that. Jesus himself tells us what the pass mark is in Matthew's gospel. He says, oh, if you want to do this on your own strength, this is all you've got to do. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. That kind of sets a little bit of a high bar, doesn't it? That kind of sounds like the pass mark is 100%. I don't think there's too many of us that have uh, taken exams and kind of got that mark at the end. You, therefore, must be perfect. And, and when we're not, well, then God says, you're not good enough. And we understand this a little bit more when, when, if we think about God himself. You see, God is a loving God. You might say at that point, well, hang on a minute, Ken. You know, we've been singing all this morning about God being a God of love. Why would God do anything that stops people coming into his presence? Why would God do anything that says you can't come into heaven? Well, you're right in a sense. God is a loving God. It says in the Bible that he's loved us with an everlasting love. But another characteristic of God is that he's a just God. And that means that he can't ignore the fact when people do wrong. He's holy, he's perfect, he's absolutely pure. Now, in our world, we often, in the media and in our newspapers, we read instances where, where somebody has got away with something, either through a kind of a loophole in the law or through a sentence that was passed down that everybody else says, well, that wasn't right. And something within us rebels against that injustice, doesn't it? We say, well, you know, we want justice. The, the punishment needs to fit the crime. And if failed human beings can respond in that way, recognise when something is wrong, it needs to be addressed. Think about how God responds when he's faced with all the things that we have done that aren't right. Because it says, again, Paul, writing to the Romans, it's amazing how clear the Bible is on some of this stuff. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of that 100% pass mark. Now, now, sin's a bit of an old-fashioned word. We don't use that too much these days. And when we do, we probably use it in the wrong way. We think of kind of murderers or people that have robbed banks. And unless anybody wants, really wants to brave and put their hand up to those two, I guess that's probably not us in this room here this morning. We would say we're okay people. But you see, the Bible says that sin is anything that isn't totally in line with God's standards, with God's perspective on things. And even little things actually count as sin. If you kind of fill out your tax reform, tax form a little bit uh, in your favour, if you pinch that pen from the office, not many of us are in the office at the moment, but, but you get the idea, those little things. In fact, the Bible goes even further. The Bible says if you think something, it's the same as having done it. 
Now, just think about your lives for a moment. If you think of something, the Bible and God sees that the same as having done it. Now, just imagine that I'm, I'm living a pretty good life. And, and every day, I just do three things wrong. I just think something that I shouldn't. I just say something that I shouldn't. And I do something I shouldn't. Just, just three a day. That's, that's 20 a week. If I live to be 80, when I stand before God, a just God, a God who can't ignore sin, and he says to the kind of cosmic clerk of the court, is there any, anything held against this guy? What's this guy's record? What do we have on record of him? And the clerk of the court says, well, yeah, we've got 80,000 offences on record. What's a just God going to do with that? He's going to say, well, you don't meet that standard. And what's the consequence of that? Is it a rap on the knuckles? Is it a little bit of a sit on the naughty step for a few years? Now again, Paul in Romans says quite simply, the wages of sin is death. The consequence of us doing wrong before a holy God is death. And so we're faced with this God is faced with this cosmic mega problem. It's, it's, it's actually the biggest question or conundrum in the all of universe across all of time. Forget about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the ultimate question and the ultimate answer. This is the ultimate puzzle that faced God. How can he be a loving God who loves us with an everlasting love and, and wants nothing more than for us to spend eternity in heaven with him and at the same time, be a just God who can't ignore the fact that we've done wrong. How does God square that circle? Well, God solved that problem in the most amazing way by coming into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we talk of Jesus as being the son of God. He was the son of God, but he was also actually God himself. God himself took on human form and came and lived on the earth. And he lived a human life. And in that human life, he, ne he was the one person that never did anything wrong, never said anything wrong, never thought anything wrong. He was the one person in all of history that got that 100% pass mark in the exam of life. He was the one person at the end of his life could have said, I've made this in my own strength. I deserve to come into heaven. I don't deserve to be punished by death. But what happened to him? He died on the cross. Not because of what he had done, but because of what we had done. And the prophet Isaiah, it's just amazing, the prophet Isaiah wrote thousands of years before the crucifixion. Uh, but this is what he says, prophesying in Isaiah 53. He says, but he, talking of Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, again, there's a lot of old language in there, but what's really being said there is imagine that this book, this Bible here, that's that record of those 80,000 things that I've done wrong. And here's me. And there's the record of my life. And I'm bearing the weight of that. And there's God in heaven. And, and that book, those sins, are a barrier between me and God. And what Isaiah says happened, and what we know happened, was that on the cross, Jesus died. And all those sins were transferred to him. 
He paid the cost. He bore the weight. He took the punishment. And what does that now leave me? Where does that now leave me? That leaves me free to have that relationship with God. That was what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins. Now, how do we receive this gift? If heaven is this gift, how do we receive it? Well, again, we have to look at that really first verse that I read in Ephesians. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You see, we receive this gift through faith. We have to take it. You see, if Valentina had said to me, here's your Easter egg, and I had said, well, stick it on the sideboard. I'll admire it from afar. I'm not really going to get the full benefit of it. I'm not really going to partake of it and enjoy it. If she'd said, here's your Easter egg, and I turned around and walked off into the kitchen, I wouldn't have received this gift. The only way I receive this gift is by actually taking it. And the way we receive Jesus into our life, the way we take this gift of eternal life is by acknowledging that, by saying thank you, by accepting that that is what Jesus did when he died on the cross, that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, that he took our, all our sins, that he did everything so that we have to do nothing other than say, thank you, Jesus, I accept what you've done. I accept what you've done. I accept you into my life. That's the Easter message. That's what we celebrate on this time every year. The fact that Jesus died and that he didn't stay dead, but he rose again to life and said, yeah, there it is. There's that gift for you. All you have to do is take it. We're going to come back to this thought in a few minutes. Again, if you want to respond to that, just hold on to those thoughts for a few minutes. We're going to hear from the folks that are being baptised. We're going to hear a few other testimonies. But if this morning you're not someone who has accepted Jesus into your life, just hold on to those thoughts for a moment. You'll have an opportunity to respond later on. I'm just going to hand back, I think, to Steve now. Well, let's give Ken a round of applause. Thank you so much, Ken. And uh, hello, everybody on the Zoom. Hi, everyone. We're waving at you. You can't probably see us waving at you maybe but we are we love you and on Facebook as well we're one church in three locations this